Good morning. Jesus was a master communicator, and we are looking at the parables Jesus told. Jesus told parables to convict and confront, and also to guide and to give comfort. So for those of you who are in need of comfort, and I know a lot of you are concerned for Pastor Gary and for Val, as we look at today's parables, we'll see that God is a God of comfort and grace and a God of power and strength. And when we pray for someone, we can trust that God is caring for them. So today we're going to continue in Matthew 13 and look at five short parables about the kingdom of heaven. They're probably familiar to many of you. They're the parables of the mustard seed, the yeast, the hidden treasure, the pearl, and the net. And they're <clears throat> pretty straightforward, and they seem pretty obvious in meaning. But the staff this year decided to look at the parables, not just in isolation, but in their context, in their timing in Jesus's ministry, and their placement in the narrative. And when we look at the context, it sheds a whole new light on what Jesus intended his listeners to understand. The context is significant in Matthew 13. So just to review a little bit, because I know you forget, two weeks ago, Pastor Brandon talked about the parable of the sower. And he talked about Jesus talking about the four soils and challenging us to believe in Jesus as the sower and his seed, the teachings of Jesus. And Brandon told us to believe, listen, and do what he says. And I'm going to repeat that a lot today. Last week, Pastor Eric talked about the parable of the wheat and the weeds. And Jesus tells this story about a man who plants good, good wheat seeds, but weeds grow among them. And the servants ask him, should we pull out the weeds? And he says, no, they should grow together until the harvest. And he later explains that the good wheat seeds are the people of the kingdom. The bad weeds are the people of the evil one. And he is the farmer. And the enemy, the devil, is the one who sows the bad seeds. And they are allowed to coexist until the end. And this parable is about the frustration of good people, of us, living among evil, and about how we are to live with humility and sincerity and hope and assurance. And so this is the backdrop. And I'll refer to this idea often today, too, that God allows evil to continue that we are the good people of the kingdom and we live among the bad people of the evil one. These five short parables that follow the parables of the sower and the wheat and the weeds are meant to encourage us, to help us as we live among evil. And so Jesus tells about the kingdom of heaven in these parables. And the Jews had expected the Messiah to come and to establish his kingdom on earth in fulfillment of, covenant, of the covenant promise. But Jesus wasn't doing that right away. He wasn't immediately going to overthrow the existing power structures and set up his kingdom as they expected and hoped for. So in these parables, he reassures his followers that he is the Messiah, that the kingdom is here, but that evil continues. And the good people of the kingdom live among the bad people of the evil one, and these parables show us how to live as we coexist with evil. They show us what the kingdom is like, how we are to live in it and long for it. And it's so relevant for us 
because we live among evil, and we wonder about that a lot. So we're going to read the parables in verses, Matthew 13, verses 31 to 50. If you have your Bible or a Bible app, you can follow along, read along with me. Um, this follows immediately after Jesus telling the parable of the weeds and wheat. And in verse 31, he told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, when it grows, it is the largest of the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds come and perch in its branches. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. So was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. Then he left the crowd and went into the house, and his disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. And he answered, The one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one, and the enemy who, who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the blazing furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Whoever has ears, let them hear. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. And once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore. Then they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets, but threw the bad ones away. And this is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There are three sets of parables here with three principles for us as we live as good people of the kingdom among the people of the evil one. And in the first set of parables, Jesus tells two stories about the phenomenal growth and power of the kingdom. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, though it's the smallest of all the seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree. And it's also like yeast, which a woman took and mixed in 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. So a tiny mustard seed, it grows not as the herb it is, but as a huge tree. And then there's this small amount of yeast that grows in a mountain of flour. And think about that 60 pounds of flour, that's 16 five pound bags. That's a lot of flour. And it doesn't seem like the seed or the yeast are gonna be able to grow that much. Both seem small and weak at the start, but they produce phenomenal, explosive growth. And the kingdom of heaven is like that. It seems small and weak, but it will grow into something glorious and big and powerful. And Jesus here 
brings us back to the idea of the seed, which was in the other two parables before this. And the focus here is on the seed itself. And the seed is the gospel, the good news of the kingdom of heaven, of God's rule and reign on earth, which begins in Jesus. And the disciples can't see it yet. But Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is here. See, in his coming, Jesus has begun the restoration of this broken world and fulfillment of all the Old Testament promises. But it doesn't look anything like a kingdom yet. The seed doesn't look anything like a tree, but it's going to grow into something so big birds can live in it. The seed seems powerless, but it has amazing power. And we can't see how a seed grows into a tree or how yeast affects the flour. He says the yeast is mixed into the flour, and the word mixed has the idea of being concealed or hidden, because you can't see what the yeast is doing in the flour. How it works is hidden. It's a mystery to us. The yeast grows in the flour. It's contagious, infectious. We don't see what's happening, but somehow it produces these big, beautiful, fragrant loaves of bread. We don't see the process. But we do get to see the results, to taste and smell the bread. And the kingdom of heaven is like that. We don't see how it works. It starts small and powerless. But growth is happening, even when we can't see it. It's phenomenal, amazing growth. And this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. Both seed and need seem so small, so powerless, so weak at the start. But this is how God always works. We see this in the Bible over and over, that God starts with small, weak things, and he does great things. He started in the Old Testament with Abraham. He was too old to be a father, but he was the father of a great nation. He started with Moses, who was, had a speech impediment, couldn't talk right, and had so many excuses. But God used him to speak and to lead his people out of, Israel, out of Egypt. He chose David, small, the youngest son, just a shepherd boy, to become the greatest king of Israel. And then the New Testament starts with a teenage girl, a baby born among livestock in a manger, low-class shepherds on a hillside. Jesus uses five loaves and two fish to feed 5,000 people. And 12 disciples start the church and change the world. God starts small. He uses small, weak things to do great things. And these two parables about phenomenal growth of the kingdom tell us that God is working, even when we can't see it. Jesus tells these two parables to reassure his followers, because knowing that God works powerfully in unseen ways, we can be encouraged. As we live among evil, as we live as the people of the kingdom, we can live with encouragement, hope. We can live with patience, knowing that God is working. We can believe that he's sovereign and powerful and faithful, and he will do what he says he will do in his time. We can trust that he's building his kingdom, even though we can't see it. Jesus encouraged his disciples to believe, listen, and do what he says, even when it's hard to do. And living among evil, it is hard to do. We feel discouraged by evil and the oppression. We're troubled when we watch the news. Any of you who still watch the news, 
there's always car chases and smash and grab robberies and all kinds of evil and mass shootings and criminal behavior beyond our comprehension. And we feel discouraged at the evil in our world. We can feel frustrated and anxious. But God is working, even when we can't see it. In the midst of it, in the last few weeks, you may have heard of the Asbury Revival, which was a continuous worship and prayer service that lasted for two weeks among students at Asbury University. And it might look like just any other gathering, just any other worship service. But it said that there was an unexplainable peace felt in the room, a sense of extraordinary goodwill and giving with radical humility and compassion and renewal of faith. And it began after just an ordinary morning chapel when about 18 students stayed to continue to pray and worship and then other students joined them and people came and went and they continued to pray and worship through the night, 24 hours for two weeks. After a few days, there were thousands of students. They had come from colleges around the area and then students at other colleges created their own revivals praying and worshiping for long periods of time. And the response from some has been cynical and skeptical because you, know, you can't really tell what's going on. We don't know if it's real, if it's manipulated. You can't tell by looking at it. But a lot of people have felt the encouragement and hope. Hope for the church, hope that God is moving, Hope for this next generation of believers who are said to be the least religious generation in American history. And whatever the long-term impact is, something is happening for these thousands of students. And whether it's a real revival or not, it is a glimpse of the potential of the kingdom, of God's power at work in ways we don't understand and we can't always see. But knowing that God works powerfully in unseen ways we can live encouraged and hopeful. In the parables of the seed and the yeast, Jesus encourages us that God is working, that he will do what he says he will do and bring about his will in his time. And this is what Jesus wants us to see, that the reality of life in the kingdom is not just what's visible to us. God is working, and we can be encouraged, even when we can't see it. Jesus continues with two more parables, two more short kingdom parables. And in verse 36, it tells us that he moves from the crowds into the house, and now he's talking just to his disciples. And he tells them these two parables about the value and joy of the kingdom. In verses 44 to 46, Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. And it's like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. What would you sell everything you have to buy? It would have to be something really special, right? These two parables are quick and to the point, and they're meant to help us see that the kingdom of value has kingdom of heaven has value above anything else. It's worth everything you own. And the focus is on the incomparable value of the kingdom and the joy we can have in finding it. Like the yeast hidden in the flower, the treasure is hidden in the field. But this hiddenness is not about mystery. It's about desire, about wanting it so much 
You don't want anybody else to take it from you, so you hide it. It's that desire for the value and joy of the kingdom. And like the merchant looking for fine pearls, we should desire it above everything else. And remember again that Jesus is talking to his followers, his disciples, people who had already chosen to follow him, who'd already made that decision. They gave up a lot in making that choice, and they would continue to sacrifice and suffer. They would sacrifice their jobs and their businesses and their wealth. They would sacrifice their social standing and be ridiculed and persecuted and excluded <clears throat> and excluded. And Jesus was telling them these parables so that they would not give up, so that they would continue and persevere and cling to that desire for the kingdom, to hang on to it, to hang in there and not give up. And Jesus tells these two parables to reassure his followers, because knowing that the kingdom is worth everything, we can persevere. The certainty that Jesus and his kingdom was worth it, worth everything they owned, gave the disciples the strength to persevere and continue. And when we understand the incomparable value of the kingdom, it gives us strength to continue as his disciples, to pursue kingdom living, to do what he says, even when it's hard. And we can make sacrifices and suffer and struggle when we understand how valuable Jesus and his kingdom are. Think of athletes who give up everything for the win, for the gold medal or the trophy or the title. They train, they suffer, they sacrifice. Sometimes they sell their houses and move across the country for a coach. And it's all for the value of winning. Think about the economy. Think about things like investing in Bitcoin and cryptocurrency and of startup companies and every get-rich-quick scheme and workaholics and all the way smart people give up everything they own for the possibility of financial success and wealth. I think for many of us, the treasure that we would give up a lot for is the treasure of family, of our kids and our grandkids, right? Those of you who are parents, you give up a lot of time and money and energy, sometimes everything you own for your kids and their future. I was just in Atlanta enjoying my two granddaughters. They're three and a half and seven months now. And I'm willing to fly back and forth across the country every few months for the joy for the value of spending time with them. Even though I don't really like traveling, it is just so stressful for me. Just the packing and figuring out what to take because the weather changes so quickly in Atlanta. And then it's the getting to the airport and making Brandon pick me up at 4.45 a.m. in the morning because I like the first flight. And then sitting in the airport and then sitting on a plane for four to five hours among sometimes not very pleasant people and then when I get home, there's jet lag for a few days and the disorientation and sleep disorders, which seem to be getting worse as I get older. And I don't enjoy traveling very much. I kind of think it's crazy that I keep doing it every few months. But I do it happily because of the joy, because of the value, because the relationships are worth it to me. And we are willing to sacrifice and suffer when something has value to us, more valuable than the trophy or the wealth, and more valuable even than kids or grandkids, Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is worth everything you own. Think about that. 
Jesus gave his life for us. He died on the cross for us so that we could be forgiven and have new life, abundant life, and receive the gift of God's grace, have a relationship with him, and have eternal life forever. It is so worth it. And when we're certain of that value, we can persevere and suffer and sacrifice and struggle when we know that Jesus is worth everything we own. And then there's one more story in this series of parables, the parable of the net. In verse 47, Jesus goes on to tell this last parable. Once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore, and they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets, but threw the bad ones away. And this is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the blazing furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus bookends these parables in Matthew 13 with two stories about judgment. He starts with a parable of the wheat and the weeds, and then he explains it in the middle, and then he tells this parable about the net. And he's making a point here that there will be judgment. The wicked ones, the ones who reject Jesus and his way of life, they will be judged. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Whenever I hear these judgment stories, I have one of two reactions. Sometimes when I'm feeling a little harsh, I'm kind of relieved they get what they deserve. There are some people who are just evil, who just look out for themselves and choose violence and cause pain and misery for everyone. And they drag us all down. They make us feel discouraged about people in general and, and the state of the world. And my vindictive, arrogant self is glad sometimes that there is a blazing furnace and weeping and gnashing of teeth. But on my better days, I respond with more grace and compassion. Because I accept that there are all kinds of people, good and bad. I feel compassion for those who just can't see who Jesus is and what he offers. And I accept that people are allowed to make that choice, that God gives them more time to choose. But that's why there is still evil, so that they can choose. And we can be discouraged when we look at evil and we feel like it looks hopeless. We can persevere when life is tough and we suffer. But Jesus tells this last parable because he adds to that, that knowing that there is judgment, we can have compassion and an eternal perspective. In these parables, Jesus comforts us with the truth of eternity and judgment. We feel anxious when bad people get ahead and we suffer, but we can rise above that when we know Jesus and we can live with compassion and grace anyway. We can feel frustrated and angry when others are mean and self-centered, but we can still seek to be kind and patient and forgiving, even when it's a challenge. And we can have an eternal long-term perspective, live with the long view, because we know there will be judgment in the end. We can look at our friends and family who don't know Jesus and have compassion and care for them. We can pray for them and try to be a positive influence, look for opportunities to share our faith and to tell them about Jesus. We can care about them and have compassion for them. But we also know we can't control their response. 
we can just trust God, live with compassion and grace, and love God and others as best we can, trusting God, knowing that there will be judgment, that there is an eternity. And because we know this, we know that this life is not all there is. We believe that there is eternal punishment and eternal reward, that there is a heaven and a hell. And we believe that God reaches out with love and offers his free gift of grace to everyone, to anyone who will accept it. And we can have compassion on those who still need Jesus and live in light of eternity. Jesus told these parables to prepare his, his followers so that they would be encouraged, that they would persevere, have compassion and an eternal perspective. The opposition for them was growing. They would suffer and sacrifice more. They would be scattered at the cross and then hiding in an upper room, not knowing what to do, where to go. But God would use them to build the church and to build his kingdom here on earth. And when we persevere, encouraged, hopeful, gracious, and compassionate, God uses us too to build his kingdom. In big and small ways, God uses us. Albert Moeller says, never believe that when you look at what appears to be a very small spiritual reality, it will stay small. Never believe that what we might consider to be the smallest act of faithfulness is going to be understood in the kingdom as a small act. Just like the widow's might turned out to be huge, it turns out that the kingdom grows explosively from small things. And you can be encouraged as you turn toward God and seek to follow him. That growth is happening in you too. Sometimes it doesn't seem like it. But never believe that your small steps of faith don't matter. Never believe that your spiritual growth isn't important. When you believe and seek to do what he says, when you seek to put into practice what you hear in God's word, to pray a little bit more, to follow the Spirit's leading, to make hard choices, to reach out, whenever you take those steps, explosive growth can happen in you in your heart, in your life, in the people around you because of you. That's what the kingdom of heaven is like. Last week, Justin Arakaki shared an amazing, inspiring testimony about how God led him to go to Palestine for two weeks on a mission trip. And he started out doubtful and uncertain, not really thinking God was going to do anything, but believing all he had to do was show up. And God provided if you didn't hear his testimony, you should go to our YouTube channel and listen to it. It was really good. In the wise words of Justin Arakaki, God can call anyone to do anything. I am proof of it. Because God controls all of it, your ability to do, to do it does not depend on you. And I so agree with that. I feel that about all the things I do too. And you can be encouraged that God will work in you when you believe in him and show up. When you think you have nothing to offer, or when you use your gifts to serve him, God works. God uses you. You don't always get to see the impact of your efforts, and you don't always feel ready or capable. But never believe that your serving, your leading, your teaching doesn't matter. Whenever you serve God, reach out to others, 
lead a small group, teach a class, teach a Sunday school class, go on a mission trip. Whenever you take those steps, God works. You might not feel ready. You might not think you can do anything. You don't always know what you're getting into. You don't always see the results of what you're doing. But in God's kingdom, your smallest act of faithfulness can have great power and impact. That's what the kingdom of heaven is like. Be encouraged and persevere. Because of Jesus, you can be encouraged and hopeful even when your world looks hopeless. You can persevere even when it's hard, and you can have, an e have compassion and an eternal perspective. Believe, listen, and do what he says. Build your life on Jesus the King and his kingdom. It's a kingdom of phenomenal growth and power, of incomparable value and joy, and of compassion, eternal perspective, and an eternal reward. Jesus and life with him, that's the treasure worth everything you own. That's what the kingdom of heaven is like. Let's pray.